Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and today I'm joined by John. Hi. And special guest, the engineer of the game of Rassilon, the best Doctor Who RPG podcast there is, Michael. Uh, thank you, but we're definitely one of them, yes. Well, it's subjective. It's subjective. And this is me saying it, not you. So, so it is the best. <laughs> thank you. Today we're going to be discussing Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the 1978 novel by Alan Dean Foster, published just shy of a year after the release of the original Star Wars in March of 1978. It was actually written during the production of the original Star Wars. It's the first novel in the, what came to be called the Expanded Universe and is technically the first official sequel to Star Wars and the first story to be retconned. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the little blurb is the story focuses on Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, who are marooned together on the world of Mimban, where they encounter the locals and struggle against the forces of the evil galactic empire, including Darth Vader, while seeking out the powerful Kyber crystal. So we've all reread this recently, correct? Actually, it's, it's for the first time. I never read it before. Oh, really? Oh, um, wow. So, Michael, you had read it before, yes? Yes, I did my second read. I actually read it in the two days leading up to recording this for the folks. And home, we thank was... you. It's we thank you very much for spending your weekend reading Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It's a great and noble sacrifice, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it very, very much. So, what do we think? Overall thoughts on Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Now that it's it's fresh of our mind, I hadn't read it since I was in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, always been aware of it, and I I remember seeing the the comic book art for it at comic stores and uh it was just always like in the in the atmosphere but i just never sought it out for some strange reason i don't know why well it is kind of an interesting like anomaly in star wars because it's the first piece of ex of quote unquote expanded universe material you know before that was even a term that was retcon basically almost immediately like as soon as the empire strikes back comes out I don't know if it directly contradicts anything in the book, but like the characterization is all wonky in this. Yeah. You see it go in one direction and then Empire like forcibly pulls it into another direction. So you kind of see it as like a, not like a misstep, but it just, I guess maybe that's the reason why I didn't really seek it out is because I just saw it as sort of like a, almost like quote unquote, like not real. Like, so like, well, so well, like yeah. I didn't bother like going to read it. I'm like, well, why invest in something that's like not considered like what the story is you know so. well so that's very interesting that you you put it like that because uh, the thing that i kept thinking of when i finished it was you know a lot of people were very upset and are still very upset about the decanonization of a lot of the expanded universe material after the disney sale and i was kind of like of course they're doing that because they were about to make new movies and i was trying to figure out why i sort of was not surprised at all and was like yeah i mean of course it's a no brainer and why a lot of other fans had uh, much larger reactions than mine and i realized you know the, the example of splinter of the mind's eye from from very early on basically says you know the novels are kind of fun while you're waiting in between movies but then when the movie comes out that's the quote unquote real thing and mm -hmm. the very first example we have of that is Splinter of the Mind's Eye, this novel, and The Empire Strikes Back. Like, it goes back that far, right? Yeah. Michael, you were the one who suggested, I don't know how cheekily, but you suggested the topic of this episode. I believe it was something along the lines of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the true sequel to Star Wars, question mark. Could you talk a little bit about what you meant by that or what about this 
subject you found compelling? Very obviously, I meant it cheekily, but... It, I don't know. I don't the know. The thing I love about Splinter of the Mind's Eye is it's like, this is what they thought Star Wars was going to be next. Like, Harrison Ford's not coming back, and we're just going to do serialized adventures where, like, Darth Vader is just like the Black Knight, and at the end of it, he just shows up in Act 3, and then he falls in a hole. Like, like that's <laughs> he's just like, a uh, bad guy. Like, it, the, the thing I love about Splinter of the Mind's Eye is it's not... It doesn't feel like episode five. It feels like Star Wars two. Like that's, mm. that's the thing about it where I'm just like, oh, okay. And then like the, there, there's all kinds of stuff in here in the book. I mean, here, well, there's all kinds of stuff in the book where I'm just, it, it's a totally different conception of Star Wars to what we got. Like down to, there's a bit at the end of a chapter I, I to, I'll get back to this. Sorry, I was going to do the like how I read the book, but I'll get that. There's a mm. bit at the end of a chapter where Luke is like, oh, hang on one second. And he like takes a power pack out of a gun and puts it into his lightsaber to like to like charge up his lightsaber. And I'm like, no Star Wars has ever done this. This is like the very idea that the lightsabers have a battery is like so anomaly to or like anathema to what Star Wars is now. That that is why I find Splinter so interesting because it's paradoxically both like this abandoned, you know, fork in the road, but also it's like a complete roadmap to everything they've done with Star Wars in the sequel era or like specifically the interquel era, like Rebel One is like all about a kyber crystal, like Solo is all about like. Uh, 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 God, what's the thing? Mimbin. It's all, they have whole scenes on Mimbin with a huge Imperial occupation. Um, even down to like Jedi fallen order, like you go into a Jedi temple and like crack a bunch of myths to open up like a crystal. Like it's, it, it's such a roadmap to specifically the interquel era that I, I just, I find it really interesting as both. Interquel era. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard that. Neither um, have I. The, between. I don't yeah, know. Maybe yeah. I just yeah. made that no, no, no. up. It's, but, it's, it's great. I like it. <laughs> but it's that zone between episodes three and four that they've made two movies and some other stuff. And like that Rebels cartoon that I'm never going to watch. You know, all that. All that. You know. I've heard it's very good. I also have watched watch it. I, yeah. I just don't care when the characters show up on other shows. I'm like, oh, it's a comic guy. I don't. It's great. I, I think it's just a <laughs> medium. Yeah. Like I, I have a thing where like if, if I'm going to watch something that's animated, um, I consider the visual art form of the animation says something and I'm, and that art form of that specific animation style for rebels doesn't draw me in. And then on top of it, I just feel like it's kind of treated more like TV. So I'm like, eh, just leave it. I'm sure uh, here. It is very good though. You know, I hear it's, uh, there are moments I've seen on YouTube that are pretty freaking cool. I'm not going to lie, but like, I don't know if I want to devote like all the hours to it. Maybe it's my mistake, but I'm with it. <laughs> I don't have five seasons of time. I'm still trying to finish Severance, man. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but something you said, Michael, is very interesting. And I actually think we said exactly the same thing on the Empire episode about how they could have done Star Wars 2, but instead we got the Empire Strikes Back, which is not at all what you expect from the sequel mm. to the movie Star Wars. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, now it's sort of hard to put yourself in that headspace of like what the sequel to Star Wars, you would imagine it would be having just seen the one film. Well, we um, talked so about an empire, how empire turned it into like the 
saga. Like this is now like a thing. Uh, Splinter and it's also like a family eye. saga. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Splinter the Mind Eye is totally not a thing. It's definitely Adventure of the Week. And it's Flash Gordon. It's what Lucas yes. originally envisioned, right? Like and it's... It, and exactly that. And with the Flash Gordon thing, you were talking about charging with the lightsaber. It's like, yeah, like uh, I think it was still trying to do like a sci-fi story with fantasy elements instead of a fantasy story with sci-fi elements a little bit. Like it's weird. Like there, I know there's like some archetypes, but like they they keep adding these things. Like I gotta charge my blaster and do this and that to that to like and then they throw in a lot more technical jargon and it's like, oh, this is like a, a sci-fi writer writing like a a thing that happens to be called Star Wars and he's treating it like any other sci-fi story. So, which is admirable, you know, but uh, I definitely saw how like, I guess it was like, a, they eh, no one figured out what Star Wars was yet until mm-hmm. the following movie. Well, the interesting thing that I didn't even realize until um, yesterday when I was perusing the entry on Wikipedia to uh, to just cross my T's and dot my I's was that apparently Alan Dean Foster was writing this during the production of Star Wars. So he hadn't even seen the movie yet. It kind of feels like that when you read it. Yeah, well, so I agree with you, John. It does very much feel like a sci-fi writer who is without more specific direction or instruction or without a lot of material to go on, really, he's sort of falling back on what he does, which is he writes Mm -hmm. science fiction novels. And it very much, you very much get that sense that there's a lot of problem solving whenever they make a decision or like try to solve a problem about how to do something. They like walk through, well, we could do it this way, but then it would mean like X, Y, Z. It's like, well, you didn't have to explain why you're not doing that one. Like, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, it doesn't... (laughs) So it actually kind of reminded me, Michael, you might appreciate this, of a classic Doctor Who serial. The beginning is really about familiarizing yourself with the world and you learn how the world works and you see the different factions that populate it. And like you spend a lot of time like really like problem solving and world building until you have the climactic you know, encounter and like solve the mystery at the end. And it's like, you know, you move on to another adventure. Um, that is the exact opposite of what the film Star Wars was. Like so much of it, you know, is really about we're not going to spend a lot of time here at all. And we're not going to waste any time explaining every little thing to you. Whereas exactly. Splinter of the Mind's Eye does the exact opposite. It was immediately obvious to me uh, that there was a disconnect. And it's funny because I didn't know that he didn't see the movie either but when you read it um the the first thing that that really uh stuck out to me was the fact that they keep calling each other by name in conversation multiple times and it's like a no one speaks like that in reality and b if you saw the movie uh they never do that in the movie either so like in the movie they're they're not constantly going like Luke, Leia, Luke, Leia, Luke, Leia, Leia, Luke and it's just like why do they keep saying each other's names at each other like they're the only people in the room and then um, the sci-fi nature of it too, like I think twice in the book, he uh, Luke uses the lightsaber as like a Swiss army knife and like only turns it on to like maybe like five inches to like pick a lock. And it's like, oh, okay. Like this is like, it's an interesting idea, but like that was, that that's, that's talking about the lightsaber as if it's not Excalibur, you know? Like that's talking mm-hmm. about the lightsaber like it's a tool that anyone can use. And it's like, it, it it's... Uh, an interesting angle, you know, there are little buttons and knobs and switches on the prop, so you can't fault someone from being original on that. But like, 
Yeah, there's just a lot of things. And then as we get into the podcast later too, there's a lot of characterizations uh, between Luke and Leia uh, beyond the romance where it's just like, I don't, I didn't, like I, I could maybe see where he kind of got the idea for these actions, but in my head, I was like, there's a disconnect with the characters, you know, as the book is going on. Not even thinking about Jedi or Empire, it's thinking about A New Hope. I was like, there's a bit of a disconnect. Well, but yep. again, though, like if you read the script for A New Hope, and if you haven't seen the actors like, inhabiting those characters, like you really kind of at a loss for characterization. So, I mean, these characters are basically completely from the mind of Alan Dean Foster, like mm -hmm. like what he imagines. He probably uh, had a farm boy hero and a princess with a with a feisty personality, and he just went with that. Mm -hmm. But if you watch the movies, it's like, oh, there's something like you're inferring. It's like there's something more to it than that. And in the book... There's moments between the two of them where it's like they would never have done that. <laughs> you know, like if they made a sequel to A New Hope, there's no way they would have done these things with Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill after the performances they gave in the first one. Yeah, it feels like a novelization of a conversation with George Lucas, like yes. about the next Star Wars story, which is that's the thing that fascinates me about it is it really dwells in like. The stuff that, that, like you're saying, John, it's like wouldn't be in the movie. Like, um, like Leia's, like the haunting impact of the interrogation droid from the first Star Wars, which is like, just nobody cares in any of the movies, right? It's it's when you think about that, it's like, oh, whoa, right? Of course, that's a big deal. And then, like, even in the first chapter or so, Luke is having his like. I'm just expositing about the state of the universe opening to the mm -hmm. book um, when he's like, I refused a title. And now it, it, there's all this stuff in the, the, the opening of the book. It's like, Hey, don't worry. All your favorite characters are just where you left them ready for another adventure. It really has that like next episode thing going on, yeah. which is very funny considering the star Wars two versus episode five of it, but it doesn't feel like a, like an epic saga, like you, like you were saying about Empire, it feels like, funny enough, it feels like episode two of like Star Wars, <laughs> you know, like the, the original yeah. triangle logo. Like it just yeah. is like, it feels like a TV movie a little mm -hmm. bit. And I know like the purpose is like a yeah. low budget movie, but you can make a low budget movie that has <clears throat> higher, uh, stakes or like, uh, I don't, I don't want to say like more well, depth because that sounds insulting, but like you can make a TV movie that still has like pathos to it. And uh, this book, it just seems like, like another adventure, like you were saying, mm -hmm. Michael. This is like the Disney plus or like the Netflix show that comes after the movie where they just have yeah. to like kind of really dwell on character stuff. Like that's really all <laughs> I can do. This is much uh, more like Caravan, uh, the, the, the Ewok mm, movies. Like it feels mm -hmm. kind of like that sort of like, and here's a zany adventure with these characters type of thing. John, you mentioned, I think it's it's pretty well established that this was commissioned with kind of the idea in the back of mind that, you know, if Star Wars, the movie Star Wars is not a success, that this story might be suitable for like a cheapo, lower budget sequel. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, the guidelines that were given to Alan Dean Foster uh, by George Lucas was no Han Solo because Harrison Ford ha had no contract and there was a question whether or not he'd even be interested in coming back. Every single time Harrison Ford came back for Star Wars, he was like, kill me. Kill me. Kill me. Every time. <laughs> this is the one um, where you kill me, right? And then, and then 
poor Chewbacca, Peter Mayhew, is like, I guess I'm tagged with Han Solo, so I can't come back, even if I wanted to. <laughs> Can you imagine a Star Wars with no, like, the Millennium Falcons just gone? Like, oh, it was just that one guy ship from that one time. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, crazy. Talk, like, well, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it. We just read it, and it's 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 not. Yeah, yeah. No. the other dictum was no space battles because that's expensive. Mm-hmm. And the third one, I believe, was to set it on a swamp planet so they could shoot it in studio and things kind of fall off into darkness. So it's sort of low budget. And you know what's interesting? Like, I was thinking those three things kind of do apply to The Empire Strikes Back uh, because they get rid of Han Solo in it. There are no space battles. I mean, obviously, there's a huge battle sequence at the beginning, but there's no space battles. And a lot of it does happen on a swamp planet that was shot in a studio. While I was reading, though, I was imagining... What if they did use this as the basis for an actual film and they made it as an actual film? It's like you were saying, John, there were ways to do this Mm -hmm. that would have worked. It's funny because I feel like with The Empire Strikes Back, they do, as you mentioned, Josh, they do touch on themes that they that they use a lot in the book, like uh, Luke's on a swamp planet for half Mm -hmm. the movie. Han and Leia are now the Han and Luke role where they're on the run and they're getting to know each other and bond over the course of the movie. Um, oh, good point. Yeah, that's, like that's, that's also like the central plot to Split to the Mind's Eyes, like those, those two characters bonding and forming a romance, but now it's just Han and Leia. It's the same sort of thing. They could have done it, you know? Um, looking over the comic, I saw that like the comic is kind of like a hindsight thing and yes. they were intercutting things that were more Star Wars-y from the movies into the comics. So there's like more scenes with Darth Vader being like making plans as compared to the book where he just shows up in like the last 50, no, 50, 20 pages. I sense <laughs> his like, presence. He's going to be exactly, here in Act 3. Y- yes, exactly. And 3PO has a lot more jokes because he's funnier in the movies than he is in the novel. Well, I was just having the thought, Michael, you said this is sort of like a novelization of a description of a conversation that George Lucas had describing the sequel. I'm sure George Lucas described it as like, it's, it's kind of like a Flash Gordon serial. Like that statement with the lack of having seen the movie, I totally see how you write this off of that description. Yeah, it feels like an artifact from a parallel world. It just like fell through a hole. That's the thing I, I, I first read this like well after all the sequels came out because I just oh, never really? had the chance to read it before. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And interesting. I, I, I was like, all right, I'm finally going to check this thing out now that we're in this like deeply post-sequel era, right? And I read it. I'm just like, oh, wow. It's the thing that it still obsesses me about it that I've said it like more than one time already is like it just feels like a roadmap to everything that came after, mm. which is very funny considering the whole like pay Alan Dean Foster thing. Because um, like arguably like if this is the roadmap to the rest of Star Wars, like you really, you really got to pay that guy. It's like, whoa, it's like all in here. Points the book, you know. Well, are they not paying him? What's going on with that? I don't oh, there know. was a whole, yeah, there's a whole, um, the, the, I don't know if this will be in the pod, but they, they, Disney argued that when they bought all the Star Wars stuff, they didn't have to pay any of their royalties anymore. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. I remember so everybody that. was like, no, that's not how the law works. Um, yeah. We got a couple yeah. of... We got a couple nice try. Of, nice try. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> well, no, so it is interesting because Alan Dean Foster also ghost wrote the novelization of Star Wars uh, written by George Lucas. So the Kyber Crystal was actually in 
the I believe it's the third draft, not the shooting script for Star Wars A New Hope, but the draft right before that more or less resembles the film we got. But there is the kyber crystal in that draft that operates the way that it operates in this novel, where it's it's sort of like magnifies your your force powers or whatever. And they drop that because it's it's a lot of stuff. It's sort of a hat on a hat. And it's like, well, what do you need the crystal for? Like, isn't it? So like he can use the force without the crystal, but then he also needs the crystal to use the force. It's like a little confusing. So you can see like why they would get rid of that. But so you can see like, I'm thinking a swamp planet. Here's this kyber crystal thing that I thought was pretty cool, but I ended up not using. Can't use this character. Make it cheap. The other interesting thing is that that Alan Dean Foster says that in his conversations with George Lucas, George Lucas specifically told him that Darth Vader was, he was sort of a flunky. He's not the real big bad of the galaxy. And you can see why Alan Dean Foster, the way that he used the Imperial governors as sort of the scary villains, right? Yeah, that was very um, interesting, actually. Yeah, well, so which I think is actually kind of savvy and kind of makes sense. And they say in that, conference room scene where Peter Cushing walks in the middle of the meeting and he says the emperor has just disbanded the senate and the imperial governors now have direct control over their territories right something that's missing in I mean arguably in the movies themselves is you don't really know you don't really see what life is like in the galaxy under the empire yeah uh that 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 reminds me of the uh, the bar scene in the book with the natives and everything like that and uh mm. Oh no, I, I, I was kind of taken aback a little bit at that scene where like the guy pours the alcohol on the ground and the native like licks it up and then he kicks him in the head. That's incredibly dark for Star Wars. But then I was thinking about like, um, I might've been projecting, but like the, the old cliches of like fire water and stuff like that. And like mm. alcohol with natives in America. And then I thought about like, did he just like transpose that into like these green aliens and like he's like oh yeah the natives are all addicted to the drink and they like will slurp it up off the ground i was like jesus christ i was like i was like kind of offended and just being like what is going on with this scene you know it does like try to say like hey life under imperial rule is not Bad. good like I mean, there's a reason why they're they're fighting this war, whereas, you know, in the movies, I think the political conflict and like the reality of the things that they're they're talking about, the idea that there's an evil dictator essentially ruling the galaxy and the empire sort of shows up your planet and does whatever it wants. Like, I mean, not to cross over into like the empire did nothing wrong territory, but like we don't, the movies don't show you why the empire is so bad aside from huge kind of abstract things that we don't understand. Like, you know, they blew up a planet. I mean, like it's obviously bad, but like we don't it's pretty see, big deal. <laughs> no, but not the way the movie shows it though. Uh, because That's like true. we don't true. Uh, we don't see anybody on the planet we don't uh, we don't see uh, the point of view of alderaan like we just see this very abstract thing where they blow up this planet in space and we don't have a connection to it and it's also not something we really understand it's like you know we don't relate to seeing uh, to seeing a planet blown up uh, like that's sort of too massive to really imagine. So that's what I'm saying. Sure. And and to be clear, they, I mean, like, yeah, the, tr the original trilogy definitely sanitizes the evil that the Empire does just, just to make it known to the audience that they're evil. But to be clear, um, even when I 
took maybe some offense at that scene. Like I didn't, I didn't even think it was written with like malicious intent. Like I think it was just like a something yeah. that like he thought about. Like the way that you said it was like, oh, let's make this like a character thing and uh, put some pathos into it. And it's just true he did that. But I also feel like uh, most of the time when he does it in the book, it kind of like reflects this old school perspective on many things. Maybe that was still prevalent in the seventies. So like, so when he puts pathos into Leia, um, she gets really upset a lot that she's covered in mud. And it's like, she right. wouldn't be upset over that. And then like, for no reason whatsoever, she has like a panic attack and starts screaming and Luke has to calm her down. It's like, she wouldn't do that. And it's like, and it's just like, mm -hmm. but he's like, he's pre like, he's projecting on her because like, she's the princess and Luke is the hero, but like Luke can have a panic attack or like, why are any of them having a panic attack? It's like, and then, uh, Michael, you mentioned before how she thinks a lot about the interrogation. I think that's actually kind of cool, but, yeah. um, yeah. cause they don't, they kind of just like, uh, Josh is saying they kind of just brush all the other shit under the rug in the movie. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, it's just stuff like, like that. I don't know. Like, I feel like, uh, a lot of the characterizations is like, I see what they're doing. They're trying to get deeper into the characters, but like they're, I feel like they're using like an old school lens of, uh, oh, very. How to, of how to look at things back then. So it kind of yeah. just comes across as that, like, oh yeah, she's the princess. Of course she's going to act really entitled and like blow their cover because she feels like she's insulted <laughs> it's just like yeah, that's... stuff like that it's like oh she definitely you know she's a girl and luke's gotta mm -hmm. like put her in her place it's like well, yeah it's like a book written <laughs> in 1978 based on yeah. 1930 serials so like like the, the the bar scene you're describing has a very like colonialism is bad thing like there's no denying that right like it shows True. this this dark edge of imperial colonialism which the the movies lack but at the same time and even when like quote-unquote praising the the quote-unquote natives like he calls them aborigine warriors and it's like mm -hmm. i don't know if that's i don't know if that's it man like i don't know <laughs> you know yeah. um like there's all like there's there's but it's it's we're here you know it's like again like the 30 78 to 2022 of it all like there's it's like 50 years of room at least in one mm -hmm. of those interchanges so it's you know like sure but uh, uh uh but also to 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 your point like leia is so retrograde through most of the book yeah. but also it's like no actual quote unquote unquote star wars sequel prequel whatever has leia like pick up a lightsaber and get into a fight with vader very true. true like this yeah, this the book goes way out of its way to be like leia is not force sensitive she's just a lady she's just a stupid girl but also <laughs> like she gets she like cuts vader's mask open with like the lightsaber and gets like a rah-rah moment like it's sick yeah like, she has a she has like a almost like a longer and better duel with vader than luke does uh yeah she gets arguably. she gets the force awakens fight basically mm -hmm. like flipped yeah right like yeah, yeah it it is again like a weird roadmap in that way, but it it it's it is yeah it's strange. Like the same the same book also has like oh who's gonna be the force person? Oh, just girl Obi Wan. Don't worry about it. It's just girl. Yep. It's Hala's just right. like what if we just got like a girl Obi Wan? I I don't know. We'll figure that out. It's fine. She's like a little uh, kookier, but that's about it. That's it. Like even in the comic, she looks like a female Obi Wan Kenobi, which is funny. Mm -hmm. Um, talking about the, the natives too, I meant, I, I was also, 
uh, I found it interesting at the at the end part of the book where they get ambushed by the uh, the natives that are in the caves, and like I think they just like straight up like murder like half of them, and then like one's running away, and and Leia's like I'm gonna fucking kill you with my axe, and then like she almost gets away with it, and then you find out that they're the good guys, which you kind of see coming from a mile away, and then the natives are like. Oh yeah, we're totally fine with you killing all of our friends. It's totally cool. We're cool with death here. And it's like, what the hell? So it's like, so in an yeah. ironic way, they sanitize that because like, oh, they're natives. They don't matter. They're not real people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Paula like, literally oh. says something like, uh, I'm not literally because I'm going to be paraphrasing, but mm -hmm. it's like they're primitives. They have a more rudimentary understanding of death. They don't kill. They don't care that you killed four of their guys. And it's right. like, it's like, who gives right, a cool. shit? Let's just get to the next scene. Let's just yeah. walk to the same set with a table in it. Great. Let's get there. Like yeah. it just like you said, Josh, it feels like a Doctor Who cave. We're like, cool. Right. We got yes. we got the one cave. We are using the hell out of it this week. Like, Even the monsters that they describe are mm -hmm. kind of like, I think, purposefully amorphous. So that oh, the yeah. whatever the budget is, they can design the creature to that. So he's like, Yeah, and the and the like, they get attacked by this thing. Like I don't quite describe it very well. It's like a it's like an amorphous sort of ghost, thing. like some sort yeah. of easy to do optical printing effect. Don't worry exactly. about it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was definitely uh, a six parter of Doctor Who mm -hmm. uh, that only really had like same. three episodes. I was gonna worth. say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They jam yeah, where... everything into episode six. Like yeah, episode four and five are just people sitting in rooms. Like it just, it has that extreme six part pacing. Yes. A lot of captures and escapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, um, we spend a lot of time in, in that cave, man. I thought they visually could have been cool with the glowing moss and all that stuff. And uh, that could have been neat. What's cool too, is you can see the budget. You can like read the budget in terms of like, okay, they go to the Imperial thing. It's this reused yeah. temple. So we can shoot all those scenes and they blow up the Imperial base and they're running out and they go to this temple that looks just the same, but it's dirty and covered in moss. Just like you can <laughs> see, like it's, that's one of those things I really enjoy about Splinter where it's like, you can see the budget of this idea. It, it truly mm -hmm. feels like, this weirdly practical next thing and start like it just it's so bizarre it, it's this weird artifact the more i imagine what the film version of this would have looked like the more i kind of wish it existed yeah um well the, the scary thing is i mean when you were talking earlier about they could they could have shot it like now in the age of like ultra deep fakes they could just make this thing like that's the terrifying part is they could just like make it like don't don't do it, but <laughs> <laughs> please don't do it. Please don't. What sucks though <laughs> is that is that if they were to make it now, if somebody were to make it now, mm. like like it would lack all of the charm, the interesting things that that I think would be cool about what that movie would have been like. Yeah, it wouldn't like, be shot on video. Like the, yeah, like all yeah, of the low yeah, budget like grittiness a, of it. Yeah, like yeah. when I say that I wish that this movie existed, I mean the very budgetary constrained one shot with the like 1979 technology like i want to see that rendering of this story on screen not the like we need more content how much do you need like it doesn't matter here's a check and you fill in the amount <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta do six episodes we don't give a shit what's in them it's fine yeah um, uh, no i, 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 I agree episodes, with you josh yeah. like i wish 
I wish that when like the novel fell through that hole in time, I was talking about it, like a laser disc came with it. Right. Like I wish, <laughs> I wish we got like, or like the VHS, like clattered out of the hole too. Like, I wish we got to like watch it. Right. Like I, I'm so with you on that. Like holiday special quality. Yes, exactly. It, I was going right? to say, I mean, like you kind of mm. get a glimpse of what it would have been like with the holiday special. I don't know that it would have been shot on video, probably would have been shot on film, but like the way the holiday special uses like the props and the costumes that were left over. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we've ever really seen the low budget version of what a film in this universe mm. would look like. I mean, George Lucas would probably say you saw it like that was Star Wars. It was well, the first one. Yeah. I guess yeah. the, the Ewok <laughs> movies are that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. They have the mm. same sort of like, it looks kind of like Star Wars and it's all shot in like the, you know, Northern California, like right, right in George Lucas's backyard. If you look really hard, you can see like Francis Ford Coppola drinking wine on like a hill in the background. I'm making that up. I have no idea. I, I had a question though, because in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, this is supposed to be a movie. So you have some, uh, two new characters, basically Hala and the Imperial. And in my head, like I was trying to picture like who the Imperial would be. And like Powers Booth just kept coming into my Ooh. head. Yeah. That's yeah, you're right. Scary guy with a mustache. He's really gruff. It's like Powers Booth, 1970s Powers Booth. Fuck yeah. Though you kind of oh, was he like a little buffoonish? He they they started off making him intimidating, and I think to make the other bad guys more intimidating, they made yeah, him like scarier he... than him. So he was afraid of his superiors, but he was a complete monster to his uh the people that were uh below him. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they made him, like, more of a buffoon when he's talking to the governor. And then when he's talking to Vader, he's, like, basically, like, scared shitless, I think. Right. Or vice versa. Speaking of Vader, one thing that I did like, obviously, the characterization doesn't comport at all with the Vader that we uh, would come to know. Yeah, um, this guy is not the head character of the skywalker saga he's just no, some no. guy like he's just a yeah. guy what is also i before i forget again like going but i didn't realize until you said this came out of like pre the movie coming out but in the book rereading it it took me i had to like reread this paragraph four or five times because they describe vader's lightsaber as also being blue which oh, is yeah. a thing I remember from like the first cut of Star Wars and they changed it because it like doesn't, it looks confusing, right? You're right. But like yeah. all lightsabers had blue beams originally. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I just reading that and it, like it clicked in my head of like, whoa, this is so far back. Like it, it it's, it's this, it, yeah. It, anyway, sorry. No, I mean, that's a good point. I don't know that that even registered with me. It registered with like, me when I read it because yeah. as Michael said, I, I reread that. I was like, wait, whose lightsaber are they talking about? And mm -hmm. it's like, they're talking about Vader's. And then in my head, I was like, I'm not sure if this guy saw Star Wars <laughs> or like, or maybe, yeah. maybe he saw a rough cut and the special right. effects yeah. like weren't done yet. You know, I was like, maybe he saw like a, a work print with no special effects or something. Mm -hmm. A little bit of an off topic thing, but I remember my brother had um, a return of the Jedi, uh, like, um, like trucker hat back in the eighties. And, uh, and I remember that the lightsabers were switched on that hat, which I think was part of some of the first posters. So Luke had a red one and Vader had a blue one, not even green yet. And uh, that was something that as a little kid, I was like, that's not right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And it just stuck with me forever that like that was like that image in my head.
Well, that's interesting you say that because I don't know if this was like an ex post facto sort of a justification, but or an ipso facto. I should never try to speak Latin. Erso ipto facto. Yeah. Facto. Uh, but I don't the, know. Uh, the, there was an explanation that, th that that was not a mistake, that that was intentional symbolism, that uh, Luke has a red lightsaber to show that he has the dark side in him and maybe would be going oh. to the dark side in this movie, and that Vader has the blue lightsaber to show that he, he perhaps has good in him. Uh, but that said, though, you are correct about the blue lightsaber. Because if you see the initial trailers for Revenge of the Jedi, Luke has a blue lightsaber on the sand yep. barge and they changed it to green because they had trouble making it stand out against the sky. Yeah, there's, there's probably like 15 expanded universe novels explaining why yes. his is green. But like, it's just like, it's just like it didn't match with the sky, guys. Come on. Mm -hmm. I, I On Instagram, I, I get things aimed at me because of algorithms. And every now and then I'll see like Star Wars stuff that goes into that like kind of I don't want to say bullshit, but like, but it's just like they, they start talking about like why the deep reasoning as to why Mace Windu has a purple lightsaber. He's like Samuel Jackson just wanted the purple lightsaber. He just guys. wanted That's why a purple. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's it's not, why he yeah. has one. It's not because of his like it's level not, seven kung fu Jedi training. <laughs> yeah, it's none of that. Yeah, yeah. I love when there are decisions that are made from very mundane reasons like you know the green dye was closer to me than the blue that day and yeah. like that does kind of lend itself to some sort of logic justification or like han solo's pants have like the sometimes have a red stripe or a yellow stripe and there's like mm -hmm. oh well, that's his ranking of whatever and it's like he's just a fucking pirate that like dude owns pants. two <laughs> pants like what yeah, do I you know. want like come <laughs> on it, it goes down to like like Obi-Wan's um disguise on Tatooine is like the Jedi uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. Like because uh, Uncle was, Owen's no. dressed as a Jedi. Like they're all yeah, yeah, exactly. always like, dressed as Jedi. Outfits, exactly. Like yeah. if anything, Luke's outfit in Jedi, Return of the Jedi, should be the Jedi outfit, right? Like they should all be in like cool black outfits with like the dope triangle on it. Like it if anything, well, right? They so what's with the prequels, right? The concept art for the Jedi, particularly for Obi-Wan Kenobi for the Phantom Menace, they are taking inspiration from what Luke was wearing in Return of the Jedi. They look more like ninja like cool. in the yes. graphic. Yeah, and they have Do like that. almost like samurai like ponytails and stuff. If yeah. Exactly. Uh, I have a lot of reasons to build a time machine, but I'm adding one to the list right now, and it's this. <laughs> it's this. Let me see if I can find an image while you guys talk and I'll just put it in the chat. Heck but yeah. so, so what I was saying about Vader, though, while again, it is a completely different character from the one that we know, um, I thought he was portrayed pretty fearsomely. I thought that that was a very effective sequence when he shows up and he's he's toying with Leia. Well, he's even like, when he's dueling with Obi-Wan Kenobi, he has a penchant for uh, talking shit to his opponents as he's doing it, at least mm -hmm. from A New Hope. But at least in A New yeah, Hope, there was that. But it makes sense in the New Hope because he has an established relationship with him, so he's trying to prove something to to Obi Wan Kenobi. So I could kind of see where uh, Island Dean Foster was coming from when he wrote the duel with uh, Leia and Luke. I was like, yeah, I could kind of see from like the scene from A New Hope how he can write him like that. But there are elements of vampire in there, throwing the rocks, um, yep. and even like the way he walks through uh, Echo Base. Uh, and Han, mm. like leading the troops, like he led the troops at the end of the, the climax of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I'm like, I could definitely see like movie Vader doing the same thing, just kind of walking out there, not being too concerned about his own safety and just entering the fray. And you also kind of get the impression that Alan Dean Foster thinks he's, he's just like a guy wearing a mask and a suit. 
I mean, not that like he needs the suit for survival. Yeah, he like, talks about his like grotesque breathing a few times mm. under there. So I think he gets the the like injured nature of the guy in there. But yeah, uh, like you say, I don't think it's like a life sustaining apparatus in the same way. What is really interesting to me too is that like he takes damage, like mm. as opposed to in the movies where like. He can just hold out his hand and like catch blaster bolts and just be like, oh, do to do blasters today. Oh, you got me. Uh, but like in the in this, Leia shoots him with a sniper rifle, which is awesome. And they should sneak that <laughs> into a Star Wars movie. I mean, come on. That's true. Uh, oh, wait, it's called Rogue One. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but he just gets like a dent in his armor. And then like later in the Luke and Vader fight, he like like caves in a section of Vader's armor. Like there's just much more um bad night kind of thing yes mm -hmm. this really feels like i think i said it earlier, but he feels like a black like the black knight who's just like dun -dun -dun -dun. he has like a big scary music cue yeah and it's weird like even down to there, when vader first shows up and is talking to skywalker he's like it took me a long time to figure out it was you who shot me in the thing in the trench and it was like wait what like we all know that dude what are you talking about like come on. <laughs> like it's like the, what's known and what's not known. I, I I could just talk about that forever. I could talk about that as long as I could talk about weird lightsaber idiosyncrasies, honestly. I, I feel like if Darth Vader went home that night and turned on a space TV, there would have been like a news article like, this young boy, Luke Skywalker, blew up the Death Star. And he'd be like, oh, it's him. Like, I this think guy, he just, like, Luke, I don't think he would need spies guys, yeah. to figure that out. I well, think people would kind of just know. Well, to be fair, um, there is a run in the... Right. The Cassidy and Gillen comic, right? Yes. It is a uh, very the, good moment in that comic, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, the moment when Vader finds out the identity of who blew up the Death Star. They really make a meal out of that in the Marvel comics, and it's very cool. Yeah, but that scene in the comic is so much about, like, my son, my beautiful boy, my beautiful birthday boy, I can have my beautiful birthday boy back. As right. opposed to, like, in this book where Vader's just like, we could be pals, cutting guys with cool swords, man. Just, just join me. Black is a better color. He doesn't even try and recruit him, actually. Like, in the book, he's like, I'm going to torture you with a lightsaber, and then I'm going to torture you with a lightsaber. Ha-ha! He's just a bad guy. He's just like, How do like we you said, like the goon. He's a heavy. Yeah, he's totally that. And um, it's almost like um, there's a little bit of, like, the kylo ren sort of messiness to vader um that's in the book as like because i feel mm -hmm. like kylo ren is like unrefined which is like a definition of his character and i feel uh vader is just like all image in this book you know and yet again that's a just reiterate but like kylo ren i feel like is all about his image so he wears the helmet for no reason he you know he takes damage and he's just kind of like rough and gruff and uh there's a not uh, a less of that Vader sort of uh, sophistication. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. um, he is a Black Knight, but like, mm -hmm. I feel like the way that you're, that you're talking about him, Michael, is that like he's the Black Knight that like guards the bridge and he's like, I'm the bad guy. And like, and well, I feel like, like he's much right more of like a, 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 like a elevated knight in like a fantasy sense of like a, a mythical sort of uh, end all be all sort of like archangel sort of archetype you know if that makes any sense mm. i don't know yeah whereas in the book he feels like like a goon like a heavy like that the end of the after he's fallen down a hole 
Like Luke is like, <laughs> I can still feel his presence in the force, like the scent of sulfur. And I'm just like, okay, man, this is, this is so, like so camp. This is so the other direction. Yeah. It's, it's so like, I just love how like old school serially Flash Gordon again, like it feels. He's just like, it's... he'll be back. I think I, we thought we defeated him, but he'll be back next time. Dude, it's so like, funny it you like mentioned Claw that. from Inspector Gadget. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Mm. And I, I was talking to uh, to uh, Josh about this uh, the other night, and I was saying how like I thought it was hysterical how he falls down the hole, and kind of like an Austin Powers movie, Luke looks over the hole and he's like, "Oh, he's still alive. Okay, cool." And like the, it just kind of goes on. It's like and they just leave. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, like he's it's in like, the it's, hole. I don't know. It's like I I guess it's one of those things where I mean, it's, it's a like, deep hole. To be fair, like I don't yeah. know, like in a New Hope. Vader gets hit with the in the TIE fighter. You see him spin out, but mm -hmm. like the the movie kind of shows you that he's still alive. But there's no there's nothing in Vader spinning out that makes me think that he would have died anyway. But mm -hmm. I guess using the same sort of logic, they're like, I guess we have to just announce to the audience at all times that he's still alive unless we explicitly say so. So it kind yeah, of I mean, takes it's... like any sort of surprise out of him coming back in like. The second sequel, <laughs> you know, but it, which would have been but much more opposite. better if he just like was like, oh, he survived the hole instead of them like announcing it. I don't know. But it's the opposite impulse to what, like, the what's what you're talking about there because this one is like, don't worry, all the toys are still on the shelf for next adventure. Like, yes, Vader's fine. He's gonna get a shiny new suit. <laughs> like, it's it's no, about, I mean like. It's, it's like I was saying, like the toys on the shelf thing of like, yeah. everybody's just how you left them. And at the end, they're just how you left them. <laughs> yeah, well, that that is very much this is the next episode like of this mm -hmm. series, serial, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's funny. You're just making me think it sort of robs the surprise of Vader returning in like the second sequel. But Michael, it's kind of like season eight the master, the Roger Delgado master, where he's the villain in every story. They go back to Doctor Who and it's kind of like, you know, at a certain point, you know he's going to come back because he was in the last four episodes. He's probably mm -hmm. going to be in the next one. I I've been trying to hold back my Doctor Who references because I do a Doctor Who podcast and I'm already no, infringing okay. on your show enough. It's okay. You can release the break on that because I'm here the, for it. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Vader in this book feels like the Anthony Ainley master. The Anthony Ainley master. Where he yeah. shows up and they're like, you died. And he's like, I lived. And it's like, that's <laughs> it. That's all you get. Like, why? Yeah. Like, Wash your hands of it. That's the explanation. Like, I survived. Gotcha, baby. Like, that's it. That's all you got. So, but there is kind of, so, but that said, like, like, I mean, obviously we're poking fun at it, but like, that is a valid Lovingly. interpretation. Lovingly. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, not even having seen Star Wars, like that is a valid understanding of how the series is going to work. Yeah, if you read the yeah. overarching material at the time Alan Dean Foster started this novel was like 10% the Star Wars we got. Right. So like his conception of Star Wars is just I, I know I, I feel like I've said this a thousand times now. It's just so radically different as a result. And that's what yeah, I know. And, and it's not necessarily like uh, uh, inherently wrong. It's like, what else can this guy infer from the very little information that he got at the time? You know? It's right. too early. He's the second thing. He can't be wrong. Like, right. like, like <laughs> literally like everything else after that is just like, no, that was that's not how we want to go with it. But it's like, he can't, I'm sorry, like, he can't be wrong. He's, he's item two. Like, it's like, that's what's cool. 
So you know what's so interesting about that? So I recently read Secrets of the Force, an unauthorized oral history of Star Wars mm. by Edward Gross and Mark A. Altman. And oh, I love those guys. Oh, yeah. I gotta find that. And they have some fascinating new interviews, like a new interview with Alan Dean Foster, where he says that he didn't like The Empire Strikes Back. He hated that Vader was Luke's father. And hmm. he said that he felt that the prequels existed solely to justify that twist. He was really not into where the series went subsequently. And after you said what you just said, like, I could see, like, he felt some ownership, some understanding of, like, what this whole thing was supposed to be. Didn't he write, like, an absolutely terrible episode nine pitch? At some yes. point in the sequel era, like just what? he did, just fully well, bad. No. Like yes, whoa. no, he did. It was crazy. It was like the Borg, basically. <laughs> it's like some very weird stuff. Oh. The one thing I remember was that Ray is revealed to be like a droid or something. That's what it is. Yeah, she's like yeah. a she's a, a feeling droid that can connect to the Force, which is yeah. So crazy. Okay. Put some Blade Runner in there, I guess. It's not crazier than George Lucas's plan for episode seven, which was they were going to shrink down and go into the force and meet the midichlorians who were people. I don't know like, if that was literally his his pitch. What are know. you talking uh, about? <laughs> I've heard it more than one time. Like, it well, feels like it wasn't not his pitch. I don't know. Well, that's a topic for a whole other episode. I just want to see every other Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to, I want to go to like the gallery of parallel Star Wars. Take well, me there. Me too, man. Ooh. Now that you mentioned the sequels, I, I think there's, there's, um, it might not be the same exact relationship, but I feel like there's some odd similarity with like, <clears throat> somebody's writing the sequel with as little information as they possibly can, uh, to make it as interesting as they possibly can. And then, except uh, they made things it. come out different. Yeah. So, like, so I feel <laughs> like, uh, with The Force Awakens, uh, Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams, like, famously, I think he was trying to write episode eight while they were shooting episode seven. Yes. And they would have talks about what they were doing, but you can, but it's very clear that like, um, they weren't in sync with what they like. It's like, so I think that they, yeah, I think even Mark Hamill was talking about how at the end of like episode seven, um, he, they thought they're going to have like an image of like floating rocks around him and stuff like that to show how powerful he was, but they didn't do it. So there was still, they were still unclear as to where they were going to be. Then Ryan Johnson does his thing. And which is totally different. And then JJ sees it. And, and then Colin he does Trevor his thing. And the book of Henry and, then, like, and, and is it's, probably it's, fired. It's, it's just uh, one of those things that. where it's like, it, it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, a, a, like a disconnect as to like who the so people well, telling the stories and, and, and like playing hot potato with the story mm -hmm. and then having right. like different ideas of where it should have gone. Except the example you just used, they both had like 40 years of Star Wars to rely on to create mm -hmm. some like unifying. Sure. It's like, I mean, it's not exactly like, one to one, but there's definitely yeah, like so, a similarity with the hot potato thing. Right. Yeah, uh, for sure. But the interesting thing there, though, is that they're just two flavors of Star Wars that are reaching for this um, platonic kind of Star Wars vibe. Hmm. And what one filmmaker latches onto is like not exactly what the other filmmaker latches onto. They don't necessarily contradict each other. No, but, but, uh, but it's one of those things where, uh, the direction was definitely heading one way and then it was kind of taken another way. And then it went back to the original way or at least, and it's just yeah. like, you, you, you can see this zigzag happening in real time, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well, um, which actually yeah. makes it kind of more interesting because they both should have had uh, more conversations about that <laughs> while they were doing well, it. Well, <laughs> no, I disagree to the extent that I contend the sequel trilogy would have worked out totally fine in the end had the third film had a a, a third different, different director. Yes. Yeah, I uh, agree. Because, even even uh, the shooting script of Duel of the Fates proves that, right? Yeah. yeah. The Colin Trevino script is like that that would have it would have fit somehow with that trilogy. Totally setting aside quality for the sole reason that that a third director would have had to work with the two films that were already yes. made and figured mm-hmm. out how to synthesize a satisfying conclusion to the story that they were laying out. So uh, no matter who it was, if it were Colin Trevorrow or somebody else, the only problem is when you go back to the creative voice of the first one, mm-hmm. because then what happens is, I'm not saying that this is anyone's fault. It's just how creativity works and how it's, like voices work. It's like, inevitable. That, You're going to have like a, a one one black sheep of that three, like yeah. the weird, weird sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. So then all of a sudden you have the middle movie kind of feeling like an anomaly and the third one trying to reconnect with an idea that was sort of deviated from. It's just, it's just bringing back the guy who did seven to do nine. You're building in like a narrative of quote unquote correction or like going, you know, like you, Mm, you you bake in the perception of a subtext, right? Like there's all that crap. Like, yeah, um, there's baggage that goes with it. Yeah. So in an actuality, I totally understand uh, the thought process. It's like, okay, we already, for whatever reason, Colin Trevorrow left. I don't know that we'll ever know exactly why that happened. They um, saw the Book of Henry. I, can I don't. Just, I, <laughs> we can just come I mean, on. I don't know. The timing is literally the week. Like it's the weekend, the week after. Like it's not. It's not rocket surgery. Well, but the point is, you have you have a release date locked in. You're running out of time. You've already used all this development time. You need a director to jump in who can who can make a movie who can like pop onto a moving train. The idea that you would go to someone you already have a rapport with, you mm-hmm. already trust, you already mm-hmm. know can do it. I totally understand from like a real world practical standpoint why that makes a lot of sense to do. I would also argue re- that the uh, the monkey wrench was probably. The bigger monkey, which is probably Carrie Fisher passing away unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And that was, well, yeah. like, they, they could not come up with a consensus as to what to do with, and with that yeah. uh, unfortunate event. Cause I feel like even with, with like the, the, the Henry movie, if that bombs, but sort of like, maybe they'll have like a tighter leash on him, but I'm not sure if they want to go through the hassle of getting another director. Like as long as he wasn't showing up to drunk, uh, showing up to set drunk and punching people in the face, they probably would be able to work with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot there of people is... like fail upwards. So I feel like they would be like fine with it. Not that he was a bad filmmaker, but you know what I'm trying to say. If they made Splinter of the Mind's Eye, what was it, 1978 or 79, who do you think John would have Carpenter. directed it back then? John Carpenter. God, I, I was wish. Thinking, oh. I was thinking a similar thing. You've been right off of Halloween. Just because it's before, if they could just like, just get him in an intersection because they're in the same neck of the woods, they could have got Ridley Scott, like pre-Alien <laughs> Ooh, to do well, Splinter. He would have done it instead because Alien came out in 79. They probably, right, right. he probably would have gotten him. Ridley Scott had just made The Duelist, which I think mm. was his first movie. I think yes, his it first was. movie. It was yes. his first feature film. Which I believe came out in 77. I think so. It's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, really no. I'm just over uh, here but, frantically wikiing. I have no idea. 
Uh, but so like, <laughs> like so many other directors, he goes and sees Star Wars in 1977 and he comes out and he's like, fuck, what the fuck am I doing? Like, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like I'm out here making period pieces and this fucking guy is doing Star Wars. Like I need to get with the program. And the next movie he does, he makes Alien and then he makes Blade Runner, right? Yeah. So and also Alien's a low budget B movie sort of thing. And he's like, I can make this good. And they totally would have done that with Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Well, that, so Michael, I think you're I think you're onto something like he. Well, yeah, he, like literally Ridley, been... he saw Star Wars. He poached the team from Hodorowski's Dune when that collapsed and he made mm -hmm. Alien. Like, that's, that's a great, what happens. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a great it's, documentary, by the way. Everyone should check that out. A fine Sony sick. product. Wink, wink. Hashtag God. ad. Ridley um, Scott's Star Wars. That would have been so cool. Yeah. Wow. Right. Like the timing. It's very. That, it's. It, I mean, Kirschner's an awesome get. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, but like, yeah. but man, I think Ridley Scott would have made like the like. I mean, after seeing like you know Alien and Blade Runner and Legend, he would have made fantastic sets. With whether it's be the cave or the temple where they get the crystal. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, know, totally. Yeah, and there's oh, yeah. a total like literal like Cthulhu reference of like where the statue and the temple. So like. He would have been all about that shit. Like oh, yeah. he, like, he like Ian Holm really as Granum would have been killer. Like just transpose that cast. Like it's mm -hmm. yeah. And you know what's so interesting about that? So so in this kind of counterfactual that we're talking about, like in this timeline, I feel like Ridley Scott would have made a way better movie than anyone was expecting, and may mm -hmm. have like rejuvenated this franchise, right? Yeah. Um, so in this scenario, Star Wars wasn't a smash hit and, you know, George Lucas is just like trying to get some more money out of the costumes and props. So he would have probably been fine to let some guy who's like, I really have an idea for this and I'm really going to do a job. Just like, let me do my thing and you can trust it. He probably wouldn't have been so like micromanaging the way that Have you he... seen Scott's Ridley Grahams, the little drawings he does? He would have just taken Lucas through a book of those and Lucas would have been like, mm -hmm. all right, I've seen the movie. Go. He storyboards like everything, and he's really yeah. he's a fantastic artist. Like he's Amazing. a great draftsman. Dude, now I really wish this movie existed. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't... <laughs> You're welcome. I don't even know. God damn you, um, <laughs> It's weird. One last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up: the interesting implications of this regarding canonicity. Because again, like I sort of alluded to in the beginning, not only is this the first sequel to Star Wars. But it's also the very first expanded universe material to be contradicted. It's like double extra legends. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think fandom's relationship to like to canon is to me a source of somewhat endless fascination. Like, I don't understand why there's this obsession with what happened versus what didn't happen, because like none of it happened. I mean, I guess I don't really have a question, but I mean, it's about it's about the investment of time. People want their investment of time to have counted, uh, mm -hmm. so they want the things to have counted. Like I, I made a joke earlier about Sony, so I'll just I'll, I'll just say it. I, I work for Sony as a social media person, and I can tell you from cool. having like worked on the social media for Spider-Man movies, like people will take shit in the background of a trailer and construct an entire universe that has nothing to do with with what the actual people making the actual movies have to do with any of it right like it right like it's all a splinter of the mind's eye wistfully wistfully looking at the distance i don't know wow. like, uh, yeah episode title <laughs> there you go forget it jake it's all a splinter in the mind's eye <laughs> <laughs> i even said it in the beginning of this conversation that um i i think one of the reasons why i didn't read splinter of the mind's eye is because i knew 
that it was just like this thing that didn't count. Right. And I didn't even care that much about the EU. You know, like I've read a couple of his novels because like I like Star Wars. I need to get a fix, you know. But like I, and on top of that, like I just heard that like the relationships were like, oh, yeah, like Luke and Leia like might love each other and uh, all of these things. And I was like, it, sound, it sounded so far removed from what I knew as Star Wars. I was like, ah, I'll just put it to the side. Uh, that being said, though, at, when it comes to canon, like to me, it's like whatever's in the movie theater. That to mm -hmm. me, that is it. So for many, yeah. many, many years, Boba Fett was in the comics and in the novels and stuff like that. And hey, we all love Boba Fett. But I was like, yeah, but I mean, like he's dead. It's just like one of those things like, oh, like I, in this new comic, uh, you know, Boba Fett sends his kid to college and blah, 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 blah. I'm making this up. And then it's like, and then it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like he, he died with Starlight Pit. It burped they just and like he's fell dead. in a hole. Who yeah. Cares? It's like, it's like, it's like Star Wars, anywhere to turn the Jedi. And I, and I liked all the other stuff is like a fun thing, which is what it is, but I never took it as like sacrosanct. Like I never took it as like, uh, we were referring to Star Wars as like coming down from the mountain before. Like I never took it as like, uh, the official yeah. word, unless it was on the movie theater, in which case I'm like, this is what they really want us to know and think. And then right. that's, well, that's the story. I said this on some podcast. I don't know if it was for this show or in, in what order. At some point before recording this, I said something to the effect of, I think Star Wars is kind of inseparable from the medium of film because it's not an idea that was adapted into a film. Like it was conceived mm -hmm. of as a cinematic experience. and I think that there's something to be said for whatever medium originates the, for lack of a better word, property or, or franchise sure. or whatever. There's something about that medium that is, that sort of has an authoritative weight, right? So like, while there are examples, like you could say Game of Thrones, arguably the success, the, the cultural impact of the show, you know, in some ways it's really an argument superseded That's the, kind of words, but go ahead. the idea that true quote unquote game of thrones fans are still waiting to find out what happens right yeah right like, yeah because there's a book first right yeah. so i first discovered splinter of the mind's eye i was in fifth grade in my elementary school and i was going through the bookshelf in my classroom and they had all these you know dusty old books or whatever and this was like the early 90s so so there were still things on the shelf from 15 years ago right and I came across a Star Wars book that I had never heard of before. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I don't know if I said fuck in my fifth grade mind. I very well may have. I don't quite recall exactly I when I learned to express myself so colorfully. But uh, and I read it and I was crushingly disappointed because it was very boring. At least, I mean, that's my memory <laughs> of it, because like I had just read the Thrawn trilogy. Mm. And then I discover this new thing. It like immediately made sense to me why I'd never heard of this. Because, I mean, number one, like you said, John, it quote unquote didn't count. And number two, like if it were good, then people would have remembered it. Like I would have heard of it, right? Yeah, no one told me to read it. Everyone, I, I, I think I remember hearing people say that it wasn't that good. But then again, like we're talking about the opinions of like 14 year olds. So like, so what does that mean? Uh, I, I don't know, as a 39 year old reading it, I don't. I didn't think it was the worst book I've ever read in my life, but um, no, not at all. You know, it just definitely was like a vibe. And I think that like we, I wanted like cinematic Star Wars and to read that book is very much like, like we were saying about before, like low budget made for TV, mm -hmm. like make believe almost like fan fiction in a weird way. 
So it's like uh, a, it's a 200 page Ballantine paperback. It's not some prestige. It's, yeah. It didn't even have a hardback, right? Like it's not, it doesn't There's no have prestige. That. Yeah. Like absolutely. as opposed to the, the two of you, I, I went and sought this, sought, sought this thing out because the way I nerd out about stuff is to nerd out about the weird corners. Like, like another, like Dr. Who again, sorry, slash you're welcome. Uh, but like the audio dramas, the books, all of that stuff doesn't count. I still enjoy it. Like some of my favorite mm -hmm. doctors were never on television, right? Like they're audio guys. One of my favorite Star Wars expanded universe things, I forget what they called it, but um, there was a comic series where they basically did like non-canon, like what if stories. Infinities. Uh, Yes. Oh, I yeah, loved yeah, yeah. Infinities, like, man. What, yeah. if, yes. what if Luke froze to death an empire and Leia mm -hmm. had to pick up the mantle and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there is something I'm super intrigued by, like, like in the roads not taken or like you were saying, Michael, the parallel universe, the forks in the road, like how this could have gone. And in that sense, like that's the enjoyment that I get out of quote unquote, expanded universe material, not this like transmedia storytelling where like it all counts, but some of it you kind of know in the back of your mind actually doesn't count. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, it does all come back to what you said, Michael. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it comes back to people don't want to feel like they're wasting their time. So you have to kind of make sure that you make a point to say like, no, no, no. Like these, yeah. these count, these count. If, like say like if, for example, you were to make a series of random disconnected movies that all claim that they will one day bump into, say, for example, Spider-Man. And there was like no plan for that to actually happen. People would lose their fucking shit. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like the amount of time they put into these like other movies, like people would lose their fucking minds. I feel like the inverse of that is Cloverfield, where like the day they release, it's like, eh, it's a Cloverfield movie. And people were like, mm -hmm. can you just like, we know it's not a Cloverfield movie. Can you movie. not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, more, more or less, it's just like, I, I think Splinter of the Mind's Eye is a interesting experiment in canon and mm. um, what we expect out of the things that um, maybe, maybe they have the things that we love, but also like what has been established beforehand, you know? And I don't know. I feel like we could do a whole other podcast about like what we consider canon is and how we defined like, like I earlier, I said like, oh, well, for the longest time, I was like, Boba Fett is dead because the movie said so. Why? Why do I think that? Why am I okay with like other things and not that, you know? Or like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a fine line to walk for something that's not the original source material to make it feel like it is that. And um, to find that, to hit that note is almost impossible. So why do some things succeed more than others? Yeah, why don't I care about goth Chewbacca? I just can't do it. <laughs> why don't I care at all about that guy? I just don't give a shit. My thing is always, like, if it's good, then continuity doesn't matter, right? Yeah, yes. Yet, I feel like there's a certain stripe of fan that I think places a higher importance upon continuity and... Mm -hmm adhering to canon for which, you know, violation of canon matters much more than the the underlying quality of They wouldn't the, even give the story a chance. Right. Is, yeah. Is, like, the, is the brutal thing now is that yeah. I, that frankly like disease has turned has like gone that rampant. 
you know, for example, I'm sorry, both The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi completely obliterated what the like continuity of Star Wars was like, sure. like in Vader was not Luke's father until The Empire Strikes Back. Like you go back and you look at the original Star Wars like that is not what that character is. Like, I'm sorry, it's just not. And you go to Return of the Jedi. Oh, Leia is Luke's sister. Well, you go back and watch The Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars, they would not have had all those very close yep. romantic encounters if that was always the story. And the reason mm -hmm. why I'm saying this, not as an indictment of those two movies, far from it. It's saying that you are allowed to deviate from what is established if the idea is good. Because if it's good and it works, then who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Grant Morrison's new X-Men wasn't a problem until Grant Morrison left the book. Right? Like... <laughs> And if you don't know that book, like issue one of Grant Morrison's new X-Men is like, humankind has five years to live and then it's all mutants. Hmm. Fuck off. That's the book. And it's just like, <laughs> wait, that doesn't, you can't do that. What are you doing? Like every, everybody else in the Marvel office is like their heads on fire running around like, what's he doing? Like, or what's, what are they doing? Rather now. But, uh, uh, um, and then by the end of that book, like Magneto turns Manhattan into a concentration camp. Like it's just not a very compatible book with continuity with right anything like, in marvel yeah it's just not like there was no nobody cared because it was good like that's like yeah so it, it doesn't matter right it, yeah it, like the, you're saying sometimes it's easier to be like okay this was a movie first uh therefore uh anything that comes out after that video game book comic doesn't really count unless they make another movie but sometimes movies retcon their own i mean you're talking about empire and jedi but i mean like they literally retcon their own shit like uh you know halloween has like a million movies and like you know 40 something years later they're like oh we're gonna make the actual sequel to halloween all the other ones didn't happen you know godzilla's or, uh, like that godzilla, there are a dozen godzilla uh, movies that are sequels to only the first godzilla right the like, terminator movies are like that mm -hmm. too where it's like uh superman, only we're, we're, superman we're going back to, uh returns yeah, right? Superman Returns, and even then Superman Returns was like kind of like thrown away with a new DCU, whatever. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, you know, you see these things and like, you know, you watch like the Alien movies and then you have Alien vs. Predator, two movies, and it's like everyone kind of understood this isn't real. <laughs> like, like, I'm in the movie theater, I'm watching this movie, but this movie isn't happening even though I'm watching it. And then when you watch Prometheus and Alien Covenant, we all understood, no matter what I think about this movie, good or bad, this is happening. This is real. And it's like, what is that? You know? Alien, Alien mm -hmm. vs. Predator, not real. Prometheus and Covenant, real. Maybe it's because it's Ridley Scott and he made the first movie. I probably just answered it's, my own question. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's author, but yeah. Yeah, well, so that's actually something that I was going to say. Like, the one argument that I do have some, some sympathy for, particularly when it comes to Star Wars, is the stuff George Lucas did you know, is, is quote unquote canon like that. Because he that invented Star Wars. Canon. Yeah. Not just the idea that like, oh, he invented it. So therefore like this counts. But there's also the idea that there's like a unifying cohesion to the concerns, the characterizations, like, you know, where the story goes, it's all through the lens of this one man. So, so even if it does change and evolve, like it's still the animating concerns and the sensibilities are the same. So you can like 
see what he was doing. There's a YouTuber, uh, Star Wars YouTuber, Star Wars theory that is like, I think the embodiment of that. Like he's he's all in on George Lucas Star Wars. And the interesting thing about him is that he, the prequels were his Star mm. Wars movies that he that grew up with. That makes perfect sense that he's like a pure Lucas guy because Lucas exactly. is so auteurish exactly. and whatever. And we yeah. grew up with different people directing different Star Wars movies. So right. it's, yeah. Right. So like we, 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 we like variety. <laughs> So for the Star Wars theory guy, the Disney trilogy was the first time he had trouble with new Star Wars movies. We already arguably had that experience where we got something that we were not expecting. You've been there, done that, baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jango yeah. Fett exists. Like, I don't know what to tell yeah. you. It's not our first rodeo, you know? It's like yeah. midichlorians so like things. And deal just, with beep, it. George R. Binks exists. Deal with it, you know? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Begun this Clone War has. I've done it all, man. You can't, <laughs> you can't kill me. I'm already dead. Uh. <laughs> Closing thoughts on Splinter of the Mind's Eye or, or an answer to the question, what is the legacy of Splinter of the Mind's Eye? I think Splinter of the Mind's Eye is an interesting experiment as to like uh, a contingency plan. <laughs> you know? It's just like, it's like, look where Star Wars could have been. It's like a sneak peek into a branch into another universe. Like, what if Star Wars wasn't successful? You would have had Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And mm -hmm. uh, I think um, for academic reasons, it, I find it a very interesting um, story uh, novel. But uh, outside of that, like, I, I could take it or leave it. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, it just exists in my, in my mind, you know, but um as like something to read if you're into Star Wars. I wouldn't recommend it to people who have no affiliation to Star Wars whatsoever. Like I would only recommend it to hardcore people that just want to get this different perspective. And it's for that by itself, it's just very interesting on its own, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it, 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 in a modern context, I, I love it more than ever because it is the ultimate preconceived notion buster, right? Like. Yeah. If you if you know someone who is like obsessed with the idea that there was always some sacred plan to make like nine exact perfect saga Star Wars things, you can hand them 200 pages of proof that they are out of their fucking gourd. Like yeah. it is it's like it it's the book that turns me into Alex Jones about Star Wars. Like we got the documents. Like it's the proof <laughs> that there was no plan. There's no plan. There's no great fucking magical stuff like it's just some guys making up shit like that's it we we got it it's right here like i i have it i've got like it's right here like it's just yeah like so it, it just to me it, it's relevance in a modern context like like you were saying john i would never hand this to somebody who's only like seen one or two star wars and doesn't yeah. care it's only modern relevance is to like deep fans who need to just like have a tide pod thrown into their brain like it is it's the perfect it's just like whatever weird canon hang up you've got this book is the alka-seltzer that will burp it out of you like it's gone it mm -hmm. i love it i've read it twice now and both times i read it i'm just like oh man this this rules like it's it's so terrible and grungy and and different from the star wars we got but like it leads us down a tangent to what if ridley scott directed star wars so it can't be that yeah. bad like it's got to be pretty great right <laughs> yeah. like it's got to be pretty rad man um and yeah it exists the thing i love it exists before 
so much of what you think is Star Wars existed. There are no back to tanks. There's no like Yoda or ancient mm-hmm. Jedi masters or like any of that. Like it, it just, it exists in a world where there was one Star Wars and it was the movie Star Wars. No episode numbers, none of that stuff. Like it just, it's this amazing artifact. And that's, I just hope they never let it go out of print or let it fade into not like just, I'm saving my copy, like in a safe or something in a the safe <laughs> deposit box. Like this existed, this happened. Like it's cool. It, it just is this weird thing. It's proof. We've got the document. I want to, I want to meet the person who considers Star Wars canon only from uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Like, so a new hope and Splinter of the Mind's Eye and that's it. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. Alan Dean Foster. I mean, Kind of a little bit like, 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 I mean, the more I read it, the more I come around. It's like, yeah, not really. (laughs) Michael, you said, I think you summed it up. It's a fascinating window into a parallel universe, you know, maybe the fringe universe where I don't know if anyone, if anyone gets that reference, remember the show title sequences are dope. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. Uh, Michael, if. If anyone has heard any of our Doctor Who detours and is like, oh, I want some more of that, where can people find Game of Rassilon or or anything else you wanna you wanna plug? Please subscribe to the Game of Rassilon and whatever podcast you like. If you're a Doctor Who fan, it's uh, New Adventures with the New Doctor, Deep Future. Don't worry about canon, like we were just talking about. We're just having fun with the Doctor where all the monsters exist. It's fine. Um, we're heading into, I don't know when this comes out, but uh, June 1st of this year, we're starting season four with a new doctor, a new game, Missy, uh, a new edition of the system. The system has moved on to second edition, so we're doing a regenerated game. So it's it's very fun. We've um, we've recorded a bunch of episodes. We've recorded about half the season already, uh, and it's a really different show. It's very fun. It's more episodic. It's faster. I'm talking a lot about my show on your show. I'm sorry. Um, I asked so yeah, for please. It. Find us at Rassilon on the various socials media. And if you want even more, we have behind the screen, behind the scenes, behind the everything content on Patreon, as well as bonus adventures, uh, including the forthcoming Total Chaos, which is extremely fun. We've uh, Dan, who is going to be our doctor, GM's uh, far flung. I play a malevolent sphere called Kill Sphere. He, uh, they're my favorite character <laughs> I've ever played. Um, I get to do a very extended USB joke in one of the episodes. It's, it's exquisite. Uh, um, but the thing about our Patreon is also you just buy time. So eventually those bonus adventures will be on the main feed. You're just going to have to wait till December instead oh. of getting them in May. Cool. So uh, cool. for those who can't afford it, that's fine. For those who can't afford five a month and would like a great big pile of stuff, please join us at Patreon at Rassilon Pod a lot more of me talking i hope that's not a detriment um <laughs> but yeah no uh, thank you again for having me on here i i love splinter the mind's eye and i love talking especially apocrypha especially weird corners of nerd stuff so that's my jam this was that's my jam as well this is like exactly chef's kiss this is where i want to be uh <laughs> so thank you thank you both again no, well, I'm so glad that uh, you were able to join us for this. And I want to thank both of you, John and Michael, for having this very nerdy but very wonderful in so many ways discussion about Star Wars Splinter of the Mind's Eye. If you liked what you heard, you can find us at trashcompod.com and please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find Trashcom Pod across all social media and we will see you on the next one.